Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm so grateful for um, the word that the Lord is just sharing during worship. Um, just encouraged me that, okay, he's not just working with me, so thanks, Anand. <laughs> I'm glad that there's more than me that's working, that God's working with us. Um, I'm really nervous this morning, not um, not because I need to speak in front of you, but because what God is working in my heart is very much um, incomplete. So it's still very much in the process of processing. Um, so it's I'm sharing from a very vulnerable, raw, <laughs> not yet finished, not yet got this down space. Um, so if some of my words come out weird. Sorry, I'm a verbal processor, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, I know that God is working, and I know that he's continuing to work in all of us, and um, I hope that what I share this morning encourages you that um, I'm more messed up than you are. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> awesome. We, we've been doing a series um, in Colossians, and we have a preaching group that we get together and talk through the, the books and talk through the, the, the scriptures and the verses and what stands out for you and what stands out for you. And when we were talking about Colossians the other night um, in a group, everybody had a chance to share what stands out for you. And um, I just shared the, the part that stood out for me. And um, two weeks ago on a Monday, like uh, on Mondays, we're off. That's our off day. So I was just lying on the bed watching um, what dream home makeover? I like home makeover shows. So I was lying there chilling in the sun, and um, Henny knocked on the door. Mason, are you sleeping? <laughs> no, I'm not sleeping. It was during the day, but I'm watching a story. Uh, okay, so you said this part in Colossians stands out for you. Will you preach on it in two weeks' time? <sighs> Hallelujah. Okay, okay. But now, in the um, in the meantime, I'm not in the best space in my life. And I don't really feel like, yes, I've, I really want to preach. Like, mm, I'm confident and I feel like I can teach people, I can preach at people. This is great. I'm like not in that space at all. So I'm going to read Colossians, this part that stood out for me, and then share lots of stories, and then we'll get back to the scriptures, and then hopefully towards the end you'll see how this relates to the scriptures. Okay, so it's Colossians 1 verse 9 says, For this reason, so he's just been talking about the saints and how they encourage him and giving thanks for what's bearing fruit in their lives. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So about a month ago, maybe a little bit more than a month ago, maybe like six weeks, I don't know how long I've been feeling frustrated. Um, Joshy would say, our, our six-year-old, when he was a bit smaller, he'd say, 
Mama, are you feeling frustrated? <laughs> yes, I'm frustrated, Joshua. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if you've ever experienced wrestling with God. Like, you're not sure what's happening on the inside. You don't know what he's doing. There's so many emotions, guys. You know, right? You know, hey? All the men know what it feels like to, like, really wrestle with a whole bunch of emotions at the same time, right? So, I was wrestling with, like, all these emotions and... I'm not sure what's happening in my heart, and I don't know what God is doing, and I don't know what he's saying, and there's like just a whole bunch of mixed up stuff happening, and I just can't put my finger on it. I don't know what is happening, but I feel super unsettled. And in this fragile, vulnerable, frustrated uh, space, life's happening. And while life is happening, obviously I'm more sensitive to a whole bunch of things like criticism and um, accusations and voices coming up and all these things happening and whatever. I'm like, oh, you're not enough. And we we serve in um, in the Sanson congregation most of the time. And the Sanson congregation is a very interesting demographic. It's a very high turnover group just in general. People come and go from Joburg a lot. So we, we see about 40 new people come every year, and we see about 40 people leave every year. That's outside of just the normal movement of people staying in Joburg. But it's a, it's a very high turnover group. So somebody that's, that's um, very relational, um, that invests in relationships and really loves people, um, it's hard sometimes, not sometimes, a lot of times. It's hard. It's hard for me. Um, a few, I think about four weeks ago, I said to Andre, I'm just quickly going to drop Mika off at church because she comes here um, because the youth are here and her friends are here, so she comes to the morning service most of the times. And I'm like, I'm just going to drop her off quickly. And then when I got here, I saw all the familiar faces, and I just felt like, oh, I'm just going to stay a little bit. <laughs> I just need something that feels uh, familiar, just like, oh, okay, I know these people, I'm loved, oh, this lacquer. Anyway, so I'm in this now processing shame, like my family have seen me process the past few weeks a lot, and you must know that there's a lot happening in my heart when Andre doesn't even, like, come close, he just sends me a WhatsApp, I'm praying for you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> What's up, emoji? <laughs> and I think even the office, dear world, is like one day I'm like super grumpy. The next day, are you feeling better? <laughs> Scared to approach. <laughs> and um, so on the Monday that Annie asked me this, I was like, oh, God, I'm feeling so vulnerable. I really don't really feel like I'm in a space to preach. So whatever, you want to say something, then you've got to help me. And the Monday night at intercession, we were praying, and I'm just wrestling with the stuff on the inside. People were praying. I don't know what people were praying. I was praying my own things. And at a point, God, like just similar to Anan, at a, at a point, I was just closing my eyes and just praying, and God said to me, you're struggling with an orphan spirit. And he said, <sighs> cry. <laughs> okay, God. <laughs> Yeah, it's not something you need to be delivered of, Mason. It's an identity issue. <laughs> okay. 
And then later, I went to John Atalia's, you'll see the symptoms now, I'll talk about the symptoms. Maybe I'll talk about the symptoms first and then. Google's orphan spirit symptoms. <laughs> the following are traits of orphan spirits. It actually says orphan spirit leaders. They're hypersensitive. They don't know how to be a spiritual parent. They're always in competition with other leaders. They are driven by a search for significance. They don't know how to emotionally connect. They do not feel good about themselves. They do not know how to treat others. They do not interpret reality correctly. People are, are objectified to obtain their goals. They're always looking for approval and recognition. They do not know how to submit to spiritual authority. They have a difficult time with their own family. And they have a difficult, difficult time relating to God as their father. And just going through this, I was like, oh, God, but you've dealt with so much of this already. In December, this will be my 20th year of, of following Christ. Like, God, I know that you've dealt with a lot of this stuff already. Yes, this is layer number next. Okay, cool, good. So I take criticism too personally. I feel responsible for people, and if there's any criticism that comes up in the church and working with people, obviously that is something that's quite frequent. Um, then I always feel like uh, me, uh, it's me, I failed. I tend to look out for the needs of others, but then want to love them. If I can just love them well enough, then maybe they won't leave. If I just do this well enough, then maybe they'll stay. If I d then maybe I'll be accepted. Then maybe, okay, God, I see, I see. And I'm shame. Where's Jonathan? Jonathan was praying that evening, and he said something about forgiving the people that have hurt us. And then I was like, "What have I hurt, Jonathan? Is it me?" And then after we were praying, I went outside to him, shame, Jonathan. I'm so sorry. You got way more tears than you than you deserve. You know, when the tears are like here, and then they start flowing, and then you just can't stop them. I don't know who of you. Anyway, so I was like, Jonathan, can I ask you a question? He's like, Yeah, sure. Have I hurt you? He's like, no. <laughs> wow, and I'm crying. He's like, is it because I'm bad on WhatsApp? <laughs> no, it's just me. I'm taking stuff too personally. Like, he was praying about something completely unrelated to me, but I took it personally and thought, I'm the problem. I must have, I must have hurt him. It must have been me. So I'm just going to... Uh, Read the descriptions of what this, they're hypersensitive. Those with an orphan spirit walk around with a spirit of rejection. That's something we can be delivered of. <laughs> Hence, they're hypersensitive and have an unconscious assumption that people are against them. Consequently, they're easily offended and overreact to minor infractions and or experience continual misunderstandings when interfacing with others. They don't know how to be a spiritual parent. And not really something that I feel I struggle with, but... Pastors and all mature leaders in the body of Christ should first and foremost function as spiritual fathers that can nurture younger believers. When new people come into the church, they intuitively yearn for spiritual parents who will care for them. Many people are hurt because there is no opportunity presented to them in the church for personal nurture and development. First and foremost, the body of Christ needs their leaders to function as spiritual parents, secondarily preachers and leaders. They're always in competition with other leaders. I think something that I struggle with is more comparison rather than competition. Those with an orphan spirit have never been affirmed by a father. 
Thus, they're always striving to prove themselves to others. Consequently, in their striving, they find themselves in competition with other gifted leaders, including peers and even not within their organization. They're driven by a search for significance due to the lack of affirmation from a father growing up. Those with an orphan spirit are constantly striving to succeed. Hence, they rarely rest, but are on a quest to elevate themselves amongst others so they can feel good about themselves. Orphan spirit leaders are driven more by personal ambition than by the Holy Spirit. Hence, it can leave much destruction in their wake as their, ambi- as their ambition, rather than the Holy Spirit, is motivating and directing their work. And I mean, I can go, I can go through all these. They do not feel good about themselves. Even accomplished leaders may have low self-esteem. They de- desperately try to compensate for the self-disdain by their achievements. Some of the most successful people were laden with self-hatred. All this is hidden behind looking good physically with a great public p- persona, but it comes out in one or more of their traits mentioned in this article. And I mean, <laughs> not interpreting reality correctly, I mean, the, the example of Jonathan is one such example. <laughs> he didn't even, uh, it wasn't even me that he was thinking of, but I was convinced that it was. When people say, oh, yeah, no, um, please don't. This is this is about what God is processing in me. <laughs> please don't feel like I'm picking on anyone or anything. But when people say things like they don't feel welcome when you have when you know God has gifted you with with the gift of hospitality and it's your heart to want to make people feel welcome and part of family. When people when comments like that come, then it's super hurtful and. I want to fix it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the problem. I'm, the, I'm not making this happen. I must just, I must just do this more. I must just, I must just, I must just, I must just. And instead of asking the question, how can I be most useful in God's kingdom? I f- ask the question, how can I feel most useful in his kingdom? God, I don't really feel like I'm doing what I should be doing. I don't feel Packing chairs is not really filling me. Oh, but it is being useful in your kingdom. So am I really asking the question, how can I be most useful? Or am I more frequently asking the question, how can I feel most useful? And I think when God is saying that, when he just said that often, like you're struggling as an orphan. (laughs) My immediate response is, I failed. I'm a failure. How can I not get this right? How can I know you for so long and still struggle as an orphan? God, I know that you're my father. I know that. I know. I know that you're my father. I know that I'm your child. God, I know that I'm loved and accepted by you. I know. I know. I'm failing. I'm failing. I'm failing. He said, no. That's one of the problems. You think when I convict you of something that you've been malicious to get to that point. Like you had malicious intent to identify as an orphan. It's because you wanted to do it wrong. No. There's no malicious intent in this. And I'm not trying to tell you that you're a failure. Can you just remember that an orphan is our default position? That's where we all started. All of us. Before we came to Christ. We were all orphans. 
that's our default position. And if you know anything about counseling and trauma and triggers and things like that, our past shape us, right? And our past contributes to how we respond to stuff. And we come into the kingdom and become sons, but we still have all these orphan habits. And it's that that God's trying to restore. It's that that God's trying to shape and change in my heart. We were all once orphans. We come into his kingdom from being orphans with orphan habits. And orphan habits look like self-preservation. You can think, I mean, what does an orphan respond like? Um, my parents have abandoned me. So I have this issue of abandonment. Everybody's going to abandon me. I have this fear of rejection. I have to do it myself. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. So if there's bread, I'm going to take all of it. If this gets uncomfortable, I'm going to do everything to preserve myself. Like self-preservation is our default, right? So we, we want to protect ourselves. We, we feel like we need to strive to earn belonging because those that should have looked after us left us as an orphan, right? So now we need to earn our place of acceptance. We need to earn our place of belonging. We need to earn and achieve to be seen, to be acknowledged, to receive affirmation. To And we're reliant on ourselves because we've had to be. And often didn't have anyone to look out for them. Not because they're being malicious, not because I'm being malicious. Because I've had to. And yes, our past contributes to all these symptoms and our, our past contributes to all these habits. I mean, just for me, like, I lost my mom when, when I was almost two years old. So just f- experiencing that loss, um, God showed me later that I, I experienced severe rejection at that point because I felt like God took her and he left me. And God was faithful to show me that. I mean, I I wasn't even two years old. And later when I came to him and he was starting to restore these things in my heart, he said, you you felt like I took her and I left you. That's why you're struggling with rejection. That's why when somebody gives you a compliment and affirms you in your identity, it means so much to you. But then you feel so guilty about why does it feel so good? Why does it mean so much to me when somebody affirms me? Oh, shame, shame, shame. You're wrong for feeling good about somebody affirming you. It's our old habits. If I can just try harder, if I can just love better, if I can just fix something, if I can just perform, if I can just control, then things will be less out of my control. (laughs) Then the variables will be less if I can just get a good grip on it, right? And then I think... The devil uses all these circumstances in his favor to destroy us. He's not there to play games. God says he uses our circumstances for our good, to build character. But the devil comes, and you get to choose who you agree with. God's just showed me, Mezen, lately, you're, you're agreeing with the accuser. When he says you're not good enough, you say, oh, actually, I'm not. You see, that one left. It's because of you. Yeah, it probably is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is me. And then the comparison thing happens, and we start thinking, 
if I pray and I ask God for something and he doesn't give it to me, as an, if I'm praying from an orphan space, if I don't get what, God, what I ask God for, then there must be something wrong with me. I didn't have enough faith. I didn't hear God correctly. Why did he do it for Diavolt and not for me? He must love Diavolt more. If I can just position myself correctly and read my Bible more and pray more and fast and go to church and commit to small group and walk a road with someone and lead someone and disciple someone and do all these things, then I'll get the acceptance of God and then he'll hear my prayers and then he'll answer me in the way that I need him to. One of the examples of just that I've been thinking of, like in the hospital after Azal's accident, um, for those that don't know, Azal is our eight-year-old son and he had a um, drowning accident almost six years ago and he's severely, his brain got very hurt. Um, but in the hospital at that time, there was another little boy, Aiden, and he also drowned um, and his brain also got very hurt, very similar condition to Azal. And we were in rehab together and one day God said to me, Mason, I want you to pray for Aiden. I want to restore him fully. And I prayed for him. And God restored him fully. What did I do wrong, God? Why not my son? <laughs> you used me to pray for him. And like, again, identifying as an orphan, right? I told Mika <laughs> yesterday, I'm sorry, I'm going to cry tomorrow. Like, everybody knows you cry. <laughs> And then our circumstances, even as Christians, fall into that comparison, competition. You're not good enough. You must do more. You must do more to fix it. <laughs> more faith. Just have more faith. Something's wrong with the way you prayed, Mason. Maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe if you just fix this, then you'll get those results, right? Old habits die hard. <laughs> Old habits die hard. But we're called to die to ourselves. And we don't have to do it in our own strength. We have a new inheritance. Where we were once all orphans, when we surrender our lives to Christ, then we're all adopted as his children. We come into his kingdom from being orphans with our orphan habits. And in his kingdoms, we in his kingdom, we are being transformed. Can you just say that? Being transformed. Being. <laughs> being transformed. Not we come into his kingdom. Transformed. <laughs> we are being transformed, right? Self-preservation called into a life of dying to self. That looks different. God, it's not about me. God, if I'm embarrassed today and everybody sees how messed up I am, this is not about me. Or maybe it is dying to self. <laughs> it's part of the process. Earning as an orphan, ad accepted as a son. Henny also said last week, was it last week or the week before? I can't remember where he said, um, grace is opposed to earning, not opposed to effort, right? I know that he mixed it up. 
reliance on self, dependence on God. Trying harder versus trusting more. So this is, these are the old habits as an orphan that God wants to transform into these new habits, a new space that we identify in. And it's not malice. Please, when the enemy comes and says, you see, see what you did there? Say, oh, oh, yeah. That was my default. Oops. Old habit. God help. <laughs> God has created us to be, to be drawn to environments of acceptance. That's how he's ex- in, he has shaped us for love for one another. He's shaped us to be together. He's shaped us with a longing for community and family and friendship and intimate relationships and romantic relationships. He's formed us and made us that way. There is nothing wrong in seeking belonging. There is nothing wrong in wanting to feel loved and like you're part of a family and you're part of um, a community. That's such a natural desire. Like God has shaped you with that desire in you. Ultimately, he has accepted us fully. The world draws us and all these circumstances and all these yucky stuff that's happened to us in our lives draw us away from the ultimate acceptance, which is Christ. But we are drawn to environments of acceptance. Created like that. Fallen. (laughs) And then redeemed. Okay, so back to me wrestling with this orphan thing. Okay, God, so now I see the symptoms. I identify with the symptoms. Tick, 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 tick. Okay, good, yeah. So how must I fix this? If you say, I'm an orphan spirit, so I need to feel like a son. How do I feel like a son, God? Um, so what must I, what must I do? <laughs> yeah. What must you do? <laughs> what must you do? Continue. <laughs> We're called to surrender our lives to him. God just showed me this picture of him. When we surrender our lives to him, that day of salvation, it's like us getting a paper, like a document from Home Affairs that says, Gareth is my son. I am Gareth's father. Document, right? Home Affairs, miracle, if you get it from our Home Affairs. But anyway, Gareth, you're my son. Now Gareth knows legally that he's adopted by Gary. Congratulations, Gary. <laughs> um, what does that document mean to Gareth if Gary is never there? He's never met Gary, like he met him once. But he hasn't, he hasn't really known Gary to be there. He hasn't really he hasn't really spent time with Gary and he hasn't really grown in relationship with Gary. So there's two two parts, maybe more, two parts to understanding sonship and experiencing God as our Father. One is the document Jesus Jesus died on the cross. He nailed to the cross forever our sins. He died and rose again, was resurrected, went back went to heaven. And redeemed us by his blood. That's done. Finish, klar, document. That's it, right? If anybody comes, if the accuser comes to you and says, 
you're not, you're not really adopted. You'll be like, actually, or <laughs> this is a Bible, even though it's pink. <laughs> actually, I am adopted. His word says so. He finished once and for all and signed that document with his blood, right? I am his son. But then the, do- the devil comes and, but why are you struggling with this orphan thing? That means you don't feel like a son. You're hectic. I don't know why. I don't know why. God, I don't know. I have the document. So there must be more. Oh, yes, maybe, maybe this relationship thing is quite important. That's an important part of sonship, right? That's an important part of being a father, is being present. And if God is the ultimate father and a good father, then surely... He is present. (laughs) Not like our default assumption or our default experience of having absent fathers or having absent parents or the world, the world, the world. There's an experience that we need. We need to encounter God. He wants for us to seek him. He wants for us to please him. Um, there's this other, other um, thing that they do, this training that they do with um, vulnerable children, children that have been abandoned or orphaned or so. It's called um, trust-based relationship, TBRI, trust-based relationship intervention. Uh, Steffi will know all about it. Vulnerable children tend to struggle to build trust because of their abandonment past. If you think of orphans or somebody that's been abandoned, what do you think they're going to struggle with? Are you for real? JP, I'm going to come to your house at 2 o'clock. If I don't come, what's JP's response me default going to be? She didn't keep her word. She's not trustworthy. She's not reliable. Another one. Right? Another one. Another person abandoning me. Another person that I can't rely on. But with God, we cry. He comes. Every time. There's not one time that God is not present with you. Regardless of what the enemy says. Regardless even of what we feel. But our our experiences are being used to shape how we respond. And we get to choose, am I responding with the accuser and agreeing with him? Or am I responding to God and his spirit? Because there'll always be that tug. (laughs) There'll always be that opportunity. And I just want to say, like, the accuser's voice often sounds like our own. (laughs) Because if it was a creepy gremlin sound, you'd be like, yo, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. That's not... it, It often sounds like your voice in your head. You standing in front of the mirror... You know, actually, you don't measure up. You know, you see, you aren't good enough. And then you fail at something or, or circumstances work out differently and we, we're all learning, we're all growing and you, and in that circumstance, in that moment, you're like, the enemy's like, oh, you see, it failed. It's you. And God asks for us to use his strength. 
if we to depend on him, we should use the Father's strength rather than in our strength. Okay, God, so I must use your strength. Okay, so I'm struggling with this orphan thing. There's this adoption thing that I need to figure out. There's a document that I'm getting, and I'm just not getting the experience thing. So um, if I can't generate this in my own strength, because I need to experience, that experience comes by your spirit, how do I facilitate your spirit (laughs) to get that experience, right? And I'm chatting to Andre, and I'm like, I, I just don't know. Like, I know God is talking to me about this, and like, I know that God is talking to me about this. So I know that if we're orphans, then we have to experience His Spirit. But I just don't know how to facilitate a space where we can experience His Spirit. I don't know. Should we like put music on? Like, I don't know how to not generate but facilitate <laughs> and. and it, an encounter with his spirit. I don't know. But what I do know is this. If we need to, um, I, was, I was like, okay, God, so generally then we're struggling to mix with your word. Like our lives are struggling to experience this document. Like There's a, there's a trouble mixing happen, happening here. So now I've got an experiment just to show you because I like kids' church and then object lessons help people remember things in a simple way. I hope it works well. Let me show you. Okay, so in this jar, I've got water. It's just water. I promise you can smell. See, this is water. It's legit. <laughs> can drink it. I can. It's water. I promise. <laughs> Precious water. <laughs> it took me very long this morning to get this out of the tap. <laughs> Okay, this is just food, food color, and just so that you can see the color of the water, or can see which part is water, rather. Okay. Uh, I can't take a picture this way. Okay. So, if if the water represents our lives, and the oil, canola oil, um, you can use any oil. If the oil represents this document, God's word. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> Supposed to be equal parts water, equal parts oil. Thanks, but my jar is a bit small. Okay. So if the experiment is a bit wonky, then it's because of my ratios. Um, okay, so if, if our lives are the water and God's word is the oil... See the oil is on top of the water. You see that, right? It's not mixing. Okay. So if I try really, really, really hard, really, really, really hard, just try harder, right? Just do it, fix it, be more, do more, make it happen. Woo, it's mixed. How cool is that? 
But then after a while, something starts happening. It starts separating. Because I've tried in my own strength to mix God's word with my life. And I can try as many times as I want to and shake it up. (laughs) Eventually, it will separate. Regardless of how hard we try, regardless of how upside down or how we try it from this angle and that angle, it's going to separate. And that's just what God was showing, like, my life. I'm trying so hard to apply his word and, and be a son and feel like I'm a son in my own strength. But there's an additional ingredient needed. When Jesus um, ascended into heaven, I was like saying, telling that joke when I asked the kids at Kids Church, so what did Jesus say to his disciples when he went up to heaven? Joshua said, bye! <laughs> so great. I suppose he also said bye. <laughs> But he didn't just say bye. (laughs) He said, I'm going to send the helper. It's better for me to go so that he can come and be with you. The one who goes beside us, right? Our helper, our comforter, our feel of who God is. That experience, relational, presence, tangible. Like here with us, God with us, Emmanuel, right? His spirit, not sunlight liquid. So if the sunlight liquid represents his spirit. And his spirit comes and starts transforming our lives. And he starts penetrating areas that are uncomfortable. And he starts digging deep. And he starts changing something in us. So that God's word can form part of our lives. So that we can be transformed by God's word. I'll read you the experiment. The first thing that you will observe is that oil and water will not stay mixed together, no matter how hard you shake the jar. Instead, the oil slowly rises to the top of the water, and this is because of the density of the two liquids. The second thing you will observe is that adding dish soap to the mixture changed the results of the experiment. When oil, water, and dish soap are mixed together, the oil and water don't separate like when they did when there were only two items in the jar. This is because of the chemistry of the oil, water, and soap molecules. Oil is made of non-polar molecules, meaning they cannot dissolve in water. Water is made of polar molecules that can dissolve other polar molecules. Soap is made of molecules that have a hydrophilic, a water-loving end, 
and a hydrophobic, a water-fearing end. Without soap, water and oil cannot interact because they are unlike molecules. When you add soap to the mixture, the hydrophobic end of the soap, soap molecule breaks up the non-polar oil molecule, so opens it up. And the hydrophilic end of the soap, the love end, molecules, links up with the polar water molecules. Now that the soap is connecting the fat and water, the non-polar fat molecules can be carried by the polar water molecules. Now the oil and water can be mixed together and stay mixed together. And I thought, wow, God, that's so cool. I just wanted a, a, an object lesson where like, I just want to be able to understand can oil and water mix? These are two things that generally can't, but what can make them mix? I don't know if it's still, yeah, it's still mixed. Check. <laughs> cool, right? Um, and this experiment just broke it open for me so beautifully, like by his spirit. Like the spirit comes to break open God's word. It comes to break open the oil and attaches to the water, links the two together so that they can stay combined. Like by his spirit, we can have this encounter. Documents and experience, right? We can know there, here's a quote from A.W. Tozer that says, we can know the right words we can know the right words, yet never be changed. This is the difference between information and transformation. And the Bible is explicit about that, that the letter kills without the Spirit. But by His Spirit, we can be transformed. By His Spirit, this can transform our lives. By His Spirit, this can become who we are. Not just what we know. just thinking about these fear, the fear element of <clears throat> these um, ingredients and uh, chatting to Andre and Andre is like, so, so what do you know? Like, what does the Bible say about what, what you're talking about? Like, what do you know about fear? What do you know about love? What do you know about? And I sat there and I was like, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Like, so operating as an orphan is holding on to fear. Like I'm operating from a space of fear. But that's not the spirit God gave us. He didn't give us a spirit to fall back into fear, to identify as slaves and not sons. He gave us a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This contrast of fear and love, always. <laughs> Orphan, son and daughter. And Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You can shake it up as much as you want without God's spirit. There will not be transformation without his spirit. And in Colossians, Paul exhorts us that God is our Father. He desires for us to seek His will, to please Him, 
to use his strength (laughs) so that we can endure, so that we can give thanks. Still, that question remains, God, then how? How do I encounter your spirit? God, how? (laughs) I still don't know how. I know what. I still don't know how. And then chatting to Henny and Neil this week, um, it was an interesting conversation. I felt like, I'm going to talk about a sermon with Henny and Neil. They're like the teachers, and I don't even have historical context or anything. It's just, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, Henny's really good at observing um, structure, and like he's super objective, so like he can just place things, and my brain looks like mixed fruit or smoothie, and he can be like, this is what you've got. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> um, and he just highlighted that an orphan works harder. An orphan wants to fix and control. An orphan wants to do more. How do we experience his spirit? Paul, in his letter, is also quite explicit about it. But I missed it. A son asks, Daddy, help me. That's the response he, he wants from us. That's the response that he encourages us towards. He doesn't encourage us to run harder with more men because that wearies us out. He wants us to lean on his strength and ask, ask me. And I think that's also a space that we, we get so, like we get so, um, okay, so I must ask him, God, can you please, my will, <laughs> put a thumbs up on my will. God, this is the next decision I have to make. What is your will for my life in this? God, what is your, your will for my life in this relationship? God, um, this job, should I take it? God, this, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask those questions. We should, but are we primarily asking, God, what is your will for my life? Or are we asking, God, what is your will? And somehow in church, we've, we've made God's will such an airy-fairy, you've got to search so hard for his will, like it's a hidden thing. It's not. It's just so countercultural that we just don't want to see it. Because God's will is evident everywhere in the Bible. Seek first his kingdom. Oh, okay, yeah, that's your will. Don't worry about your life. Oh, that's your will. Reach nations and generations, make disciples, baptize them, deny yourself, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. <laughs> There's many examples of God's will. So, so many, like explicit, just go Google, explicit examples of God's will. I'm sure you'll get 100 million thousand. I'm good with numbers. (laughs) God, what is your will? To seek and save the lost. God, am I being most useful in your kingdom? Because we default to what is your will for my life and how can I feel most useful in your kingdom Rather than, God, what is your will and how can I be most useful in fulfilling it? 
I don't know, God, help me. And in the beginning of this year, I mean, surely by now, I must have learned this lesson. When I ask God, help me. Oh, Thanks, okay. Um, in the beginning of the year, as I was having a lot of seizures, and it's exhausting and it's very stressful because there are a lot of complications that can take place and his heart can stop with multiple seizures like he was having and the doctors were unsure of what to do and it, it was difficult and we were getting tired and there was this resentment growing between Andre and I because we're so tired and I'm stressed out and I don't know how to fix anything for Azile and I don't know how to change and I'm asking God and he's not helping me. God, I just need help. You're the only one who can help and you're not helping me. Fix this. Help him. Let his seizures stop. God, please, just stop the seizures, please, God. Only you can. The doctors don't know what to do anymore. Why are you not helping me? And we were invited to this one worship session thing and with... um, well, anyway, people. And while we were worshiping, I was standing there just feeling so exhausted. Like, God, I know, I know I must fight, but I can't. I'm just tired. And God just showed me this this thing. Like the, the guy that was preaching just said, like, if you know you're walking in your calling and you're being obedient to God's word and you know what what he's what you like that you're walking in obedience. You must know that Jezebel is coming for you. And her desire is to kill you and your family. Don't be fooled. And if you think of what Jezebel so intimidated. Elijah, thanks. Elijah has this miraculous encounter with God, like fire from heaven, burns up everything, like miraculous encounter. And then he goes and he prays and he prays and he prays and the storm comes and then he gets like enabled and empowered to outrun a chariot, like miracles. And then he hears Jezebel is coming for him and he goes and sits under a tree and he wants to die. He wants to tap out. He wants to quit. And in that moment while we're worshiping, like the guy just said, when she's coming for you, don't quit. And in these past few weeks again, I'm like, maybe I must just quit because maybe I'm just the problem. Like, I'm frustrating everyone and I'm just contributing to disasters and like, maybe I must just tap out. And while we were worshiping there, like I was, I was literally standing like this with my eyes closed and I saw this um, dragon-like black thing, whatever, like snakeish thing, like come in my face. And I just stood there because I was just too tired to do anything about it. And I just said, like, I'm scared and I'm intimidated and I'm tired and I don't know what to do. And while I was standing there, there was just this light that came in between me and this thing. And I knew that it was Jesus and I could still see this intimidating thing in my face. But I I knew it couldn't do anything to me because Jesus had come to fight for me. And he stood in between me and this thing. And he delivered me of something that I didn't even know that I was being oppressed by something. I didn't know. I thought I was just tired and this resentment is growing. And no, 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 no. 
I didn't know that there was this thing that I needed to be delivered of, and I didn't do anything. I stood there in worship, and God fought for me, and he delivered me, and everything changed in me. Our circumstances didn't change, but I wasn't intimidated by it anymore. The resentment between Andre and I had gone. Like, we didn't even have a counseling session. <laughs> like, I could look at Andre in his eyes and just feel loved. And be like, wow, I really love you. I'm so grateful for you in my life. But that distance had been growing because of this thing and because of me trying to fix it. And I asked God to help me, and he did. Not in the way that I thought I wanted it, but in a way that he knew I needed it. And even with this thing now, with this orphan thing, I haven't yet experienced God coming to make whole. I haven't. I'm still very much processing, as you can see. But in Colossians, it says, by the Father, we are qualified. By the Father, we are rescued. By the Father, we are redeemed. And by the Father, we are forgiven. The pressure is off. The change in us is progressing. There's constant transformation happening. There's layers upon layers that God is gently working out in us. He's so faithful to lead us. We ask him to lead us. God, lead me. He's faithful to lead us. His his word says that he gives us the desire and the ability to follow him. It's him. It's not even us. We, it's not even us that we, we can't even follow him by ourselves. <laughs> like, he gives us the want. And he gives us the know-how. Document and experience. We're enabled until we are perfected. We are sons, daughters, heirs. And we get to ask. Colossians 1 verse 9. I'm going to read it upside down from, from verse 14 so that you can see how this whole puzzle fits together. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Verse 10. Why has he done this? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. By His Spirit, we ask. 
Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.